0: Hey, this is Phil Kniezel, lead pastor at Hope City Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. My prayer is that this helps and encourages you, gives you some practical ways to live out your faith, and ultimately fills you with hope. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Hope City. Happy, smoky, long weekend to you. Uh, in all seriousness, a good reminder for us to continue praying for those who are affected by the wildfires. Uh, You know, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to officiate weddings. And now most of my pastoral career has been with NextGen. You can imagine that I've done a number of weddings over the years. In fact, I actually just did one yesterday right here. And I love doing weddings because they're celebrations. You know, you got two people who are making a lifelong commitment to be selfless or attempt to be selfless, you know, to put the other person above themselves. And you got families, you got friends who are celebrating, they're fun. You know, there's, there's a party atmosphere, and people are just simply happy. And, and as a pastor, you're often asked to say something short. More recently, really short a message or something that would encourage them, inspire them, that would challenge them, uh, that would secure them as they walk into this next stage of life with each other. And over the years, I've decided to include something in a lot of these messages or these sermons, whatever you want to call it. And one of them is the reality that unless the couple is planning, praying, or preparing for their future, it becomes all too easy for the business of life, for circumstances, for just life to kind of derail the relationship, to, to shape their relationship accidentally. You know, if they're asked the question, where are we right now? Where do we want to go? Like I said, it's just all too easy for life to derail that relationship. It's, it's why I think a lot of couples will find themselves wondering who the person beside them is after many years. And to be honest, it's actually true of marriage, and it's really true of any kind of relationship. It's also true of our relationship with Jesus as we follow him. If we don't think, if we don't plan or prepare, but where we're at, where we want to go in our relationship with Jesus, life can tend to get in the way and derail that relationship. Now, why bring this up now, though? Well, it's fall. And I don't know about you, and I'm sure you're the same as me and my family, but like all these things we kind of put a pause on for the summer, regular work schedules, you know, kids' school schedules, uh, you, you know, our habit tracking, and, and all these different activities, they kind of pause, and now they're all kind of coming in in this one intense swoop. You know, two of our girls are in cheers, so we got that coming up starting soon, you know, with youth on Tuesday, youth on Friday, Catherine's working, I'm working. I mean, things are getting busy, so like, I get it. We're busy people, because we want something for our lives, we want something for ourselves, we want something for our kids, our friends, we want something for our future, And we've been kind of led to believe that we can do it all. In fact, more than can do it all is that we should be able to do it all. Success at work. While kids being able to explore their options and gifts. While keeping relationships in order, healthy and happy. While meeting expectations. While saving enough for the future. While making sure we have enough right now to enjoy Wow, taking care of how you look and feel. Wow, making sure you've got time for self-care. Wow, wow, wow. It just keeps going on, doesn't it? Because from advertisements to shows we watch to social media influencers, we're kind of taught that we should, you know, have a happy, healthy, and whole life. And, and sometimes it makes you feel like we're not doing enough. In fact, I would say maybe that we're not ourselves enough. And for all honest, I think we're all just trying to be enough, secure enough, noticed enough, loved enough, successful enough, known enough. Now, funny enough, stats have shown us that the General Social Survey, which has been measuring social trends every one or two years since 1972, shows a long term gradual decline in happiness and rise in unhappiness from 1988 to the present. The latest international survey of happiness found that Canadians have become considerably less happy. In 2012, when the survey was first published, we were the fourth happiest country in the world. This year, we are 13th. I think we're supposed to go the other way. It sounds like we're taking one step forward and two steps back. Are we, am I, are you, are we being shaped accidentally and we're not even noticing it? And to add to all this busyness and all this pressure, when things do get quiet, when we do make time, whether to be on a Sunday or make time for Jesus, we still hear that still small voice inviting us, come, follow me. And we hear it and we feel it. And it feels like he's asking us to give something, time, attention, priority, emotion, that we all feel like we have a severe lack of and wish that we had more to give of. Well, what about you? How do you feel this morning? Do you feel like things are maybe a little bit out of control? Like, do you feel like you are doing things and finding yourself consumed with things you know are important, but like not always helpful? There's struggles that every single one of us face and deal with. And that's actually what this whole series is about. We're wanting to look at some of the things that are commonplace in our lives and then realize that maybe God never designed us to live in that way. And it's no wonder why so many of us are stressed and looking for kind of a bit of a different life. And the struggle is real for all of us. And so this morning, today, what I want to do is look at God's design for us when we are just way too busy. Because typically we deal with craziness one of a few ways. The one way is we bury our heads and we just kind of take it a day at a time. You know, we tell ourselves, oh, it'll get better. Next week, next month. Or do you remember this one? When the pandemic is over, right? Yeah. You're wondering, I don't know when that time is yet. Or we try to do it all until we are and our relationships are just, our lives are totally spent. And then we rinse and repeat. You know, we go on vacation, which is basically another word for escape. And we come back with enough energy to just rinse and repeat the situation, or what I think can actually be the worst of them all—something that like sounds really smart, sounds productive, it sounds put together—but I've come to realize is what's keeping us from noticing the real damage, the real cost to us. We try to find margin. That's like our favorite word these days. I'll create some margin for that. You know what? I don't think I got the margin. Let me look at my books and see if I can make margin for that. Like, this sounds intelligent, right? It sounds smart. It sounds like you can multitask and get everything you want and have these healthy boundaries. But margin can be a wolf in sheep's clothing. See, margin makes us feel really good about ourselves while actually keeping us blind to, the, to it, the own, our own state of mind, our own state of emotions, our own state of our, our spirit. You know, we hear things like, I'm busy, but as long as I make enough margin for Sunday mornings or to pray or to read my Bible or to disciple someone, I have done my, I've done my, my duty. Now, like, listen, all those things are really good things. We're called by God to do those things until they just become things for us to check off. And here's why I think margin can be a sign of spiritual misalignment and, and spiritual misunderstanding. It's because margin, by definition, means finding space or gaps along the fringe or the edge of our living. You know, you think of the road. The margin is there in order we, in case we, we swerve or or we need to pull over, or for some of you, you get pulled over. That's what the margin's for. Margin is if something comes up, I've got some buffer room to accommodate, but it is not the main intention. Whatever's in your margin is secondary. Whatever is in your margin is not in control. Margin is not king. Margin is what serves us. Margin isn't king. In contrast, when we read, when Jesus is calling his disciples in the gospel to come follow him, what we see is a pattern. And the pattern is that they drop everything and follow him. Let's read together. He's calling his first few disciples together. As Jesus was walking alongside or beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now listen to this. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and listened to this, and immediately they left their boat and their families and their father and followed him. It was the same for Matthew, the tax collector. Same for the others who decide to follow Jesus. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what are the main, you know, the the, the most important commandments that we should follow? Jesus responds this way. First, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like margin? It doesn't. You can't love him with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, if he's relegated to the margins. Following him is the life. Everything else must be put into the margin of that pursuit. And I know what you're thinking because honestly, I kind of think it myself. This seems adequate for maybe like a first century person, but for me, for us, not so much. It sounds, if we're to be honest, kind of actually unfair and far removed from like our everyday pressures, our everyday circumstances. It, it sounds, it makes it, Jesus sound kind of out of touch. Almost like at a distance from the fact that we've got a lot of things that we've got to do. We've got a lot of responsibility. We've got people to take care of. We've got things to face and to wrestle. Jesus, do you get that? That seems pretty far-fetched. Does he just... Does he not get it? But God's designed for you. God's designed for me. In the midst of our busyness, our circumstances, our responsibilities in life is this. Is that the invitation to come follow him, that we would drop him, drop it all. We would follow him. And we'd love God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. So, why is it such a hard ask? Why is it such a hard contrast? Well, if we look closer, what we're invited to, I think it actually begins to make sense. In Matthew 11, we read Jesus, who was just finished teaching his disciples and, and, and teaching these different towns in Galilee, okay? And he had just heard about his cousin and a friend, John the Baptist, who'd been jailed. And then he's lamenting over the state of affairs for the people who are kind of living outside of his design. And Jesus sits down and he has this this hopeful and and, and this, this desperate prayer, almost like a parent for a child who they know is weary and burdened. And he prays this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, And I will give you more work. No, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because unlike life, I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Church, are you weary are you burdened? Over the summer, and many summers, we do camping. And one of our favorite things to do as a family is to start a fire and sit around it with friends and family. We love it. Every morning at breakfast in the cool of the morning or every night as the, as the day gives way to night, we, we sit around. We, you know, <clears throat> we, we build fires. And They require lots of fuel. They require lots of work. You buy wood or you chop it down legally and then you split it and you, you get it in the right sizes and you start it and then it starts going. And But you know that fire, when it starts, it requires consistent energy. It requires a lot of effort to keep it burning and keep everyone warm. And if you're my wife, the bigger the fire, the better. And if you ask me how big, I've, I, I've not met that limit yet. You know, It's almost like she's like, I want it to feel like inside, but we're outside. That's just... That, that is what it is. So it requires so much. A fire is hungry always. And the longer it go, goes, the more it needs your attention, the more it needs your effort. And the, the hard part about a fire is at the end, after it's all burnt out, you're left with no substance. And you can't take the burnt pieces of wood and start a fire somewhere else. They're done. All will say, I think we're living, we're not living as much as we're following in a way of life where more is not translating into better for us. Our happiness is declining. Our pursuits to be getting grander and grander, demanding more and more from us like a fire that is ever burning and leaving us burnt out. I feel like we're being spent on acquiring what it means to be enough. And, and here's the thing about fall. It's not going to ask you how long you want it to last. It's not going to ask you how far it wants to, it wants to go. It's not going to ask you, you know, when to stop. Fall just happens. Life happens. And I think so many of us are in a place where we're struggling to keep up and keep on top of everything. To follow the way of the busy is to feed this hungry desire that never gets its fill. Why? Because there's never enough money. There's never enough opportunity. There's never enough time. There's never enough success. And some of us are feeling like, man, there's just never enough me to go around. It's probably why Jesus tells us as we measure what we choose to follow, whoever wants to save their life, other translations say, whoever wants to hold on to their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or can anyone give an exchange for their soul? Why does he ask us to follow him in contrast? Why? It's because following his way is the better way. He is the way of rest. He is gentle and humble in heart. And so your soul will find rest. Because you move from being a place of already being enough. You're already secure. You're already safe. You're already loved. You're known. You're enough in him. And I just think you don't have to lose yourself this fall. And to follow him is to realize that we need to move from a place where whatever fall in life asks us, our trust is in him. Our hope is in him. Our security is in him. Our futures are in him. Our fears are quenched in him. Our insecurities are worked out in him. We find our fill in him. We follow him and everything else is moved in the right place. This is God's design for us. Why? Because it is the better way to follow. But it begs the question, how do we pray and, and prepare, prepare and plan for us to kind of make sure that Jesus stays the main thing? And we don't let life and circumstances and business kind of derail us. How do we make sure that happens? But we see this pattern in Jesus' life. There's two things that we notice. First is this, is Sabbath. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Jesus sabbathed for those of you who are maybe unfamiliar with sabbath or the word when you go all the way to the start of the bible in genesis we read that for six days God created God worked then on the seventh day he set it aside as the day of rest and for us more specifically it's to find a rest in Jesus not in doing we read genesis 2 2 to 3 but by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. See, the Bible uses a very specific word to describe this very specific day. He uses the word holy, meaning he made the day, the seventh day, the day he rested, separate. Worth paying attention to. That we need to give reverence for. It should be sacred to us. Why? Because it's designed to remind us that the best things that we receive from God is by means of grace, not by anything we can accomplish or do. It reminds me of Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath. In fact, humanity was actually only created on day six. And do you know how much work we did on, grade, uh, on day six? Zero. But still, God called it very good. And then we rested on the seventh day. See, I think a lot of us live our lives for the Sabbath, for the weekends. where well, God designed us to move from the Sabbath, from that place of rest, knowing that we are already enough, that again, the best things we receive from God are by means of grace, not by anything we do or accomplish. We move from grace sabbath it's why in the 10 commandments when the israelites were relearning their identity in god the fourth commandment tells us remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy it means setting aside a day in the week to rest in jesus to remind ourselves that the invitation to follow jesus must start here come to me all who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and the interesting outflow of this kind of Jesus patterned life is that when you look at Jesus' life he always seemed to have what he needed to make the right better decision to face whatever circumstances he was facing you know before Jesus started his earthly ministry he withdrew into the wilderness to pray Before Jesus chose his disciples, he withdrew and prayed. Before he fed thousands, I bet you couldn't guess what he did, he prayed. Before he went into vast crowds to meet needs, no, no, you won't get this one, he withdrew and he prayed. Before he went to the cross, you got it, he withdrew and he prayed. Before the disciples went out and spread the gospel, do you know what they were doing? They withdrew into an upper room and they were praying. I don't know about you, but are you seeing a pattern? Recognizing something? Because it's increasingly difficult to follow Jesus. Honestly, it is. And to love him with all your heart, all my mind, my soul, and my strength. And to face what life confronts us with when we don't regularly rest in him. Sabbath. God designed us to Sabbath. And secondly, he designed us to prioritize his work in our rhythms. See, prioritizing involvement in God's work, in our families, in our regular rhythm, is a spiritual discipline. And the reason why it is, because it reminds us who we are. It reminds us who we're following. It reminds us that God wants to use you, do work in you, and do work through you. And more importantly for this fall, it reminds us to keep thinking eternally when we're bombarded by the temporary When we serve, when we give, when we engage scripture and prayer, when we choose to visit, when we disciple, when we make a decision to invest in what lasts in what is eternal versus what is temporal, it protects us. As the disciples followed Jesus, they were invited into his life, and this is what you see, his work and his patterns. They were called to love their enemies. They were called to make disciples, to heal and to set others free. They were called to build this church, to expand the kingdom of God to earth, to serve each other in love. See, these kingdom activities anchor us To Jesus in the waves of everyday life. It rescues our perspective, our priorities, and our person out of the temporal and places them back where they need to be. And those are on the things that are eternal. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not soar up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? So the question is, what can you do? What can your family do this fall that will keep you anchored to the eternal work of God in the midst of everything you're facing. And like, this will look different for every single one of us. You're all, we're all at different places in our walk with Jesus. For some of you, it means I, I got to start tithing and giving. For Some of you, it's like, I need to be part of small groups here. or I need to lead a group here. I need to, you know, serve on a team with the gifts God has given me. For some of you, it's like, you know what? I've got to make scripture and prayer like a regular part of my life and my family's rhythm. Or maybe it's like, some of you, it's to re-engage church as a regular part of your weekly rhythm. I'd even say this, why not partner it with a Sabbath? But whatever it is, if we don't pray, if we don't prepare, if we don't plan to Sabbath and to prioritize his kingdom in our schedules, we run a very high risk of following the busyness at the expense of following Jesus to trade his yoke, to trade his burden, which is light, for the unending, unquenchable burden and heaviness of never having and never being enough. So I want to help you as we leave here this morning of what you can do. You know, like the what now, so what, Thomas? How How do we engage this? There's two things. The first thing is this. I want you to set aside a time today to do two things whether that's before you leave or you go to the cafe and you have coffee or you sit in your car or you go home but just today i want you to do two things decide on where you're going to sabbath how it's going to happen how it will look are you going to set aside a sabbath secondly work towards what you feel is one way you can be part of god's eternal work for yourself or your family and schedule around that what are you going to prioritize And secondly, as you Sabbath, I want to give you a psalm that like helps me reorientate my life in the midst of busyness, but I think would be super helpful. I honestly think this psalm, Psalm 23, should be like the Sabbath prayer. It brings us back to a place of understanding whose we are and that we are enough in him. And in fact, I actually want to pray this psalm over you as we close this morning. So would you mind standing? I'd encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes and let me pray this psalm over you this morning as we close. Lord, you are our shepherd. And because of that, I lack nothing. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. God, you refresh our soul. Would you guide us along the right paths for your name's sake? And even though I walk through the darkest valley, Lord, I know I, will, I, I don't have to fear evil because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Would you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and in the presence of all my circumstances, presence of all my worries, presence of all the things that feel like are against me. And God, would you anoint my head with oil until my cup overflows? I believe and pray in faith that your goodness, surely your goodness and love will follow me, follow my family all the days of my life. And I'm thankful that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be watching this morning, you may be here this morning, and this concept of this God, of Jesus who's inviting you to come follow him, but not just to come follow him, but to lay your burdens down. You may be carrying some heavy burdens in your soul. And I want to tell you, the invitation to come follow him is happening right now. I hope, City, we think the best decision you can make in your life is the one where you choose to follow Jesus. And if that's you and you want information on what that looks like and how you can do that, there's a QR code on the screen. There's a QR code in the seatbacks in front of you. If you're watching online, you'll see it there too. Can I encourage you as well? Don't leave this morning until you engage those. It's a chance to ask for Bible, to connect with a pastor. We want to hear from you. We've been praying for you every week that you would come to know the goodness of God. Well, I know there's a lot of you here with burdens. You're carrying weights this morning. And if you'd like one of our pastors or someone to pray with you this morning, there's going to be some people here, my right. They would love to spend some time praying with you this morning. Church follows busy, but God is good. And would you and would I this morning choose to rest in Him and to prioritize His work? Because His yoke is easy, His burden is light. Amen. Have a great day. We love you, Hope City.